Hello and welcome to another episode of Resistance Radio with me, Majid Nawaz, and the topic today. False gods, false prophets, and the false religion of eugenics. Nazism, Yuval Noah Harari, and human imperial hubris. That is what we're discussing today, the topic of false gods. The accompanying notes to this Resistance Radio uh, in the Radical Dispatch begin citing a passage, first of all, from the Old Testament. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they know not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. That's from uh, Deuteronomy 32, colon 16 to 17. It then uh, cites the New Testament, Romans 1, colon 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. And finally, a passage from the Quran, from Surah Ali Imran 3, colon 64. Say, O people of the book, come to common terms as between us and you, that we worship none but Allah, that we associate no partners with him, that we erect not from among ourselves lords and patrons other than Allah. Beginning with those passages, because what you're about to hear, I believe actually deserves reminding us all of any idea that comes from our history, from our traditions, from our heritage, that wakes us up and reminds us that we, as great as we may be as a human species, are not gods. Because what you're about to hear is people not only behaving as if and believing that they are gods, but imposing that will upon the rest of us. And this is why I thought that today's episode of Resistance Radio would do well to reference our heritage, our culture, our traditions, to put us firmly back in our place as infinitesimal human beings in this infinite existence of a universe and remind us not to adopt such hubristic and arrogant attitudes and to believe that we are the masters of all creatures. Why am I addressing this? Well, listen on and you'll understand. Point one in the accompanying notes of, uh, of the Radical Dispatch for, for today's episode of Resistance Radio is titled The False God an augmented ubermensch, or an augmented superman. That's obviously a reference to Nietzsche's concept of the ubermensch. That was, by the way, has been abused by the Nazis. Nietzsche did not mean for this superman, for this ubermensch, uh, to be some form of evil lord and master over the rest of humanity. What he meant was for some form of spiritual and pure human being that rises above his own desires, and contains a level of self-discipline. But that's another topic. The heading for point one here, The False God and Augmented Ubermensch. Israeli historian and author of the well-known book Sapiens, Yuval Noah Harari, has been a regular World Economic Forum feature at Davos. I've posted there for you in the uh, Radical Dispatch his biography from the WEF website. So that's self-explanatory. But considering it's no longer in much doubt that Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum has been attempting to lead what I call a global palace coup against the nation state, it's become a necessity or an imperative to scrutinize the words and the legacy uh, of those who support the World Economic Forum. And there's none other more vocal than their very own false prophet, 
of technocracy, one Yuval Noah Harari. So I think it becomes, in that context, crucial to scrutinize precisely what it is that their false prophet Yuval Noah Harari believes and what he advocates for the rest of us so that we understand and we go in with our eyes open when reading his books, listening to his lectures, or otherwise recommending him as some form of genius and savior for humanity's current plight. And so here is uh, no, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. You're going to hear him yourselves. Here he is speaking on the opportunity that COVID provides for the world's elite. And if you take a listen, these are this is just, just direct words. Um, if you take a listen, see what he's advocating should happen uh, through COVID and post-COVID to the rest of us. COVID is critical. COVID is critical. This is what convinces people to accept, legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. Upgrading humans into gods. I think you now are beginning to understand why this particular episode of the Radical Dispatch and uh, Resistance Radio is so heavy with references to God and human gods and false gods. Nevertheless, we're going to carry on uh, continuing with this collage from speeches made and interviews given uh, by the false prophet of the World Economic Forum, Yuval Noah Harari. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite disconnected from the real people. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Humans are now happy animals. See, by the way, it was him that raised religion first, not me. All this story he says about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Somebody wants to replace religion with their own false religion. Let's carry on. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. That's over. Your free will is over, according to the false prophet, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, who's advocating for the... Uh, bioengineered human being to become the new god. That's why section one of the Radical Dispatch and this episode of Resistance Radio is titled False Gods. 
the Ubermensch, but the augmented Ubermensch, so as to distinguish it from Nietzsche's original concept. But such uh, dangerous hubris knows no, knows no bounds. And Yuval uh, Noah Harari has said even more than what you just heard. So let's continue listening to what the man believes our future uh, should look like. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. Useless people. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. Meaningless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games as a solution for more. It's already happening. Uh, in, 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 in under different titles, different headings, you see more and more people spending more and more time or uh, solving the problems with uh, drugs and computer games, both legal drugs and illegal drugs. You look at Japan today, and Japan before we carry on with that, looking at Japan today, you see, you heard there for yourselves, meaningless, worthless people, useless people. These are direct quotes from his own words. Yuval Noah Harari, the famous author of the book uh, Sapiens, uh, is, uh, is, is somebody, I've even got his book, is somebody much uh, revered and respected as a giant philosopher uh, in the West. And he's calling everybody else useless people, meaningless, worthless people. Uh, what to do with them? He says his best guess at, a guess at present uh, is a combination of drugs and computer games. Well, we surely see that happening already. But let's carry on uh, listening uh, to what he thinks should be done with us. He's maybe 20 years ahead of the world in everything. And you see all these new social phenomenon of, of people having relationships with virtual, uh, virtual spouses. And you have people who never leave the house and, and just live through computers. I think once you're superfluous, you don't have power. Uh, again, we're used to the age of the masses of the 19th and 20th century, where you, all, where you, where you saw all these successful uh, massive uprisings, revolutions, revolts. So we, we got, we are used to thinking about the masses as powerful, but this is basically a 19th century and 20th century phenomenon. I don't think that the masses, even if they, they somehow organize themselves, uh, stand much of a chance. We are not in, in, in Russia of 1917 or in, uh, uh, in 19th century Europe. What we're talking about now is like a second industrial revolution but the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. That is, 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 is optional. Again, and if you think about it from the viewpoint of the poor, it looks terrible because it does indeed look terrible for everybody other than those in Davos's World Economic Forum elite, serving, of course, an elite above them, uh, but standing guard for that elite as some form of gatekeepers between them and the rest of us who are to be deemed as worthless, useless people. Um, now, we are the products. You heard it there yourselves from Harari, whose second book, by the way, it's worth mentioning while we're on the topic of point one here, False Gods. Uh, his first book was called Sapiens, Human Beings, Homo Sapiens. The second book was called Homo Deus, Gods. That's the name of his second book. It's what he believes. And if this, what you heard, wasn't bad enough, we're going to continue bringing you the bad news without any apology. We 
are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Right, you'll have masters. What will the planet look like? Once you're the product, human beings are the product, well, what it will look like will be decided, as Harari tells you, by the people who own the data. Let's continue. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. At the same time, science may enable life after being confined to, for 4 billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may ena enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. Now, as there should be no doubt, as should be clear, everything you just heard there by Yuval Noah Harari, you heard as a description of what could come next. But the man works for the World Economic Forum as an advisor. He's advocating mass data harvesting in the guise of predicting it. But that, in turn, is order to facilitate you, the meaningless and worthless human, becoming a hackable animal with no free will, controlled, as you heard there yourselves, by masters who will own our data, while we will own nothing, eat bugs, and be happy. In the Radical Dispatch, the accompanying notes to this episode of Resistance Radio, if you're wondering where that reference to owning nothing, eating bugs, and being happy comes from, I hyperlinked it because it goes, it takes you directly back to none other than the website of the World Economic Forum themselves. These are their plans for you. They are spelling them out. Our job is to wake up and then to understand, thirdly, to correct ourselves first and foremost, and finally to then warn others. Moving to point two. Point one was the false god. The false god, as I hope you understand by now, is the, is the, is the augmented ubermensch in, in Harari and the World Economic Forum's view. The augmented, bioengineered, hackable human turned into a god. Point two, the false prophet. Well, the false prophet is none other than Yuval Noah Harari himself, who you've just been hearing from. Now, upon hearing from him, some beautifully naive people, and I say that deliberately, beautifully naive, because it's a wonderful and beautiful thing to think of everybody as being good. Usually, it indicates that the person is lacking the imagination for evil themselves, which one can safely assume means they're not committing evil if they cannot imagine it. And so I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean it in its genuine, literal sense. Beautifully naive people. Now, they insist, these beautifully naive people, that Harari is actually warning us against the dystopian vision that he's describing. And to support such wishful thinking, they cite Harari himself, who has cautioned against national governments, as well as corporates, from having that much power, the total power for surveillance, for total surveillance. And they would be correct. Noah, uh, Yuval Noah Harari has warned us against granting governments such total surveillance power. But 
be wary of globalists who criticize the nation state and their governments. Because by definition, they're globalists. They're not criticizing the power of government because they're defending you, people, against that government. They believe you're worthless, useless eaters who should eat bugs and be happy. Rather, they're criticizing government because they believe that unelected, transnational, global institutions, such as the UN and the World Economic Forum, should replace the nation state after they've already corrupted the latter so that people want to be rid of it. Yes, it is they who are corrupting the nation state. Just look at everything over the COVID mandate period. They've corrupted the nation state and every single one of its institutions. Look at how media lied and concealed the facts around COVID and the vaccines. Look at the pharmaceutical companies, complicit. Look at the politicians, complicit. They have corrupted the nation state so that you despise it and therefore accept their solution to replace it, which is the new world order and one world government. And that new world order reference is no conspiracy theory. In the accompanying notes to the Radical Dispatch, I've hyperlinked to an article, one of my previous articles, wherein there is a video of none other than President Biden literally saying that we are ushering in a new world order and we have to be in charge of it. If you look to that, um, if you're brave enough, that is, if you're anyone who's doubting me, uh, just listen to the speeches yourselves. So what's Harari doing? Harari is using our concern for surveillance to gain us onside emotionally. Once he's achieved that with his uh, ability to give these speeches that bamboozle many people and scare them, once he's got you on side and makes you believe he's on your side against this total surveillance, he sneaks in his solution. But his solution is even worse than the problem being identified. But he's hoping that his sophistry blinds us from realizing it. And the deceit mostly works because, as I said, most people are trusting and on evil. So again, to, to evidence what I'm saying and to bring you receipts, as is my want, I'm going to again play for you something from Harari that makes it beyond any doubt that what he has in mind when describing this total surveillance he's uh, 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 talking about isn't to eliminate it, but rather to replace it with something on a larger scale globally uh, that replaces the nation state, and that is one world global government. Have a listen to Harari uh, again. That's the problem. I mean, we need institutions actually more, but there is this wave of distrust against them. Now, it doesn't mean we need the old institutions. It doesn't mean that we have to stick with the old media. Maybe we need new media institutions, which will be... Uh, more diverse, which will give more people a chance to to to, uh, uh, um, to voice their opinions. But in the end, we will need to build these new institutions. The idea that we can just do without them, that we'll have just this free market of ideas and anybody can say anything, and we don't we don't want institutions to kind of stand in the middle and curate and decide what is reliable and what is not reliable, this doesn't work. It's been, it's been tried so many times in history. And there you have it. He's making it very clear that rather than the solution to this total surveillance and bioengineering and hacked humans and data harvesting and us being the products, the solution to that, rather than what you may be led to believe by listening to him, and that is that he's against government surveillance, his solution is very clear that there still needs to be some form of institutions that govern what we're allowed to access, the information we're allowed to process. His solution is not decentralization. It's new centralization. Uh, and I'm going to 
establish that by continuing to play for you uh, what he says and read for you what he writes. You know, if you look at religious history, to take a counterexample, so you have in Christianity, again and again, these people coming and saying, you know, we don't want the Catholic Church, this institution. Let's just, every person can read the Bible for himself and know the truth. What is more simple than that? Why do we need an institution? And you have the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And within 20 years or 50 years, they realize that when you let every person read the Bible for themselves, you get a hundred different interpretations, <laughs> radically different. So eventually someone comes and says, no, these are the correct interpretations. And you get the Lutheran Church. And after a hundred years, someone says, wait, but the whole idea of the Reformation was to get rid of the church. So we don't want the Lutheran church. Let every person just read the Bible and understand by themselves. And you have chaos. And after 50 years, you have the Baptist church and this church. And that it, it, you always go back to institutions. So it's the same with the kind of information explosion that we have right now. And the point here is, if we always go back to institutions, who controls these institutions, pray tell, that Harari uh, is asking uh, us to submit to? Who will have access to control all of that data? Uh, let's not forget that Harari has already says that the new masters will be those who control the data. So who will control these institutions that have access to all of our data, including what goes on under our skin? Well, Harari's given us the answer in his own words. Conveniently, in an article in the Financial Times that was being uh, made free for you to read. There's no paywall. You can read it for yourselves. It's there in notes of the Radical Dispatch, hyperlink for you to read. And the entire article relies on Harari's usual trick. He spends a great deal of time describing the problem. Don't forget to be grateful to him, by the way. Only to be able to get us on board at the end. Get us on board with his idea of the solution. The article in the Financial Times is headlined, Yuval Noah Harari, Lessons from a Year of COVID. Free to read. It's dated February 26, 2021. And here is a quote, direct quote from the article for you. We should establish a powerful global system. We should establish a powerful global system to monitor and prevent pandemics. In the age old war between humans and pathogens, the front line passes through the body of each and every human being. If this line is breached anywhere on the planet, it puts all of us in danger. Even the richest people in those developed countries have a personal interest to protect the poorest people in the least developed countries. The skeleton of such a global anti-plague system already exists in the shape of the World Health Organization and several other institutions. Surprise, surprise. His solution to the critique that in this growing technocratic age, governments will have too much surveillance power to surveil you under your skin is to give all that power to the global institutions, such as the World Health Organization, direct quote, and several other institutions. The quote from the FT continues, but the budget supporting this system are meager and it has almost no political teeth. We need to give this system some political clout and a lot more money. So he wants to give the globalist World Health Organization, World Economic Forum and other global institutions, he wants to give them, direct quote, political clout and more money. He wants to give them more power continuing to read from the FT, so that it won't be entirely dependent on the whims of self-serving politicians. Notice that, again, criticizing politicians to try and get you on board with his alternative solution. The FT continues, as noted earlier, I don't believe that unelected experts should be tasked with making crucial policy decisions that should remain the preserve of politicians, but some kind of independent global health authority would be the ideal platform for compiling medical data 
monitoring potential hazards, raising alarms, and directing research and development. Wow. Give this power to global, unelected, distant, global institutions over your own national governments. And there you see it, folks, in black and white. Harari's solution to the problem of mass data harvesting that he's already identified for you is to take that power from the nation state and hand it to none other than the World Economic Forum and its sister organizations, such as the World Health Organization. Such a move would apparently solve the problem of the, quote, meaningless and worthless human who's a hackable animal with no free will controlled by masters who will own our data while we own nothing, eat bugs and be happy. By handing over all that data to his mate, Klaus Schwab. Great. Moving to point three, the false religions. We've discussed the false god, the Ubermensch, the augmented, I should say, Ubermensch. The false prophet, which is Harari himself. Now the false religion, eugenics. How does all this relate to eugenics? Well, in the final chapters of Harari's second book, Homo Deus, the, the God-man, the final chapters contain his dataist movement manifesto. What's a dataist? Well, he explains. Uh, in his chapter, he speculates on the end of Homo sapiens, humans, the end of humans, and in it he calls dataism a religion. Uh, one line, and the rest of it is is uh, linked for you here in the uh, accompanying notes of the Radical Dispatch, but I'll read one line for you. Uh, dataism is neither liberal nor humanist. It should be emphasized, however, that dataism isn't anti-humanist. It has nothing against human experiences. It just doesn't think they are intrinsically valuable. Continuing, when cars replaced horse-drawn carriages, we didn't upgrade the horses, we retired them. Perhaps it is time to do the same with homo sapiens, humans. In other words, retire humans. It goes on and on. I won't read all of it for you, but suffice to say that Harari's worldview is shaped by this idea that big data is what should be worshipped now. It used to be, in days of eugenics uh, in the 20th century, used to be science, if you recall. But remember this. Always remember this. Bioengineering, in other words, biologically editing humans, is simply another word for eugenics. This disease of the mind, eugenics, uh, raised in our past by so-called progressive thinkers who are totally enamored by scientific evolution and social Darwinism, has reared its despicable head again, but this time in the name of Harari's false religion, dataism. And as you shall see, progressive left-wing science-revering internationalists have historic form on this topic of eugenics. Harari and his globalists are no different. Uh, let's begin by looking at the famous British socialist George, uh, George Bernard Shaw. Here he is telling us uh, what he thinks about eugenics. I'll bring this all back around for you to discuss how this all links to uh, today's situation. But um, I think you probably begin to figure it out. How, how is bioengineering and hacking people to perfect them any different from selectively breeding them in the context of eugenics? Have a listen to what um, the great and revered socialist George Bernard Shaw said. You must all know half a dozen people at least who are no use in this world, who are more trouble than they are worth. Just put him there and say, sir or madam, now will you be kind enough to justify your existence? If you can't justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social vote, if you're not producing as much as you consume, or perhaps a little more, then uh, clearly uh, we cannot use the big organization of our society for the purpose of keeping you alive, because your life does not benefit us, and it can't be of very much use to yourself. There you go. Sounds very much like Harari's uh, uh, words there. If you uh, 
uh, can't justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social group, if you're not producing as much as you consume or preferably more, he said, then clearly we cannot use the big organization of our society for the purpose of keeping you alive because your life does not benefit us and it can't be of very much use to yourself. These ideas of the hackable human and bioengineering humans and the worthless and the useless eaters, they're not new. They are simply rehashed eugenics. Now, interestingly, 10 years ago, Jonathan Friedland worried openly in The Guardian, yes, in The Guardian, back when it used to actually sometimes print news of note. Friedland worried openly about whether the left would ever be able to rid itself of its fascination with eugenics. I've posted the article here for you in The Radical Dispatch. I'm going to quote from it for you from the 17th of February 2012. Among those is one of the grisliest skeletons in the cupboard of the British intellectual elite, it says. It is eugenics, the belief that society's fate rested on its ability to breed more of the strong and fewer of the weak. So-called positive eugenics meant encouraging those of greater intellectual ability and moral worth to have more children, while negative eugenics sought to urge or even force those deemed inferior to reproduce less often or not at all. It continues. Most alarming, said Friedland. Many of its leading advocates were found among the luminaries of the Fabian and socialist left, men and women revered to this day. Thus, George Bernard Shaw, whom you just heard, could insist that, quote, the only fundamental and possible socialism is the socialization of the selective breeding of man, end of quote. Continuing Friedland in The Guardian, even suggesting, said Friedland, in a phrase that chills the blood, that defectives be dealt with by means of a lethal chamber. Friedland continues, such thinking was not alien to the great liberal titan and mastermind of the welfare state. William Beveridge, who argued that those with general defects should be denied not only the vote, but civil freedom and fatherhood. Indeed, a desire to limit the numbers of the inferior was written into modern notions of birth control from the start. That great pioneer of contraception, Marie Stokes, honoured with a postage stamp in 2008, was a hardline eugenicist determined that the hordes of defectives, she said, be reduced in number, thereby placing less of a burden on, she said, the fit. Stokes later disinherited her own son because he had married a short-sighted woman, thereby risking a less-than-perfect grandchild. Friedland continues, I'm afraid even the Manchester Guardian, in other words, the Guardian newspaper, was not immune. When a parliamentary report in 1934 backed voluntary sterilisation of the unfit, a Guardian editorial offered warm support. He also then mentions the new statesman. Now, he also continues to say that, I'll just read it for you, the enthusiasm of John Maynard Keynes, the director of Eugenics Society from 1937 to 1944, for contraception, essential because the working class was too, said Keynes, too drunken and ignorant to keep its numbers down. The harder truth, Friedland continues, is that they were drawn to eugenics for what were then good left-wing reasons. They believed in science and progress, and nothing was more cutting-edge and modern than social Darwinism. Now, when you hear this, just see how it reminds you of everything you just heard Harari say. And instead of uh, 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 thinking in the name of science, scientific Darwinism and social Darwinism, Harari's thinking in the name of artificial intelligence and data. But it's the same concept, determining which worthless human beings uh, should be left on drugs and computer games to wither away and which human beings have worth in society. And again, as with eugenics, worth will be defined in economic terms alone. Now, Freeland had raised this topic before for The Guardian, commenting on an archive piece, no doubt his Jewish, uh, I think, heritage or culture 
has some impact on his concern for this topic. Because, of course, we know when eugenics first came around in the 20th century, uh, it was eventually implemented by none other than Hitler in Nazi Germany. And we know where that led. But um, Friedland continues, all over Scandinavia, people are facing up to the stain now spreading across their snow white self-image as they discover that their governments spent decades executing a chilling plan to purify the Nordic race, nurturing the strong and eradicating the weak. This is Friedland in The Guardian reading, this is in The Guardian from 2019, but he's citing a archived post from 1997. So this is all modern history. It's from the 90s onwards. And Friedland says that in, in Scandinavia, they discovered that the government was uh, engaged in a secret plan to purify the Nordic race by sterilizing the weak. He continues, each day victims of forced sterilization now deep in the middle age have stepped forward to tell how they were ordered to have the chop to prevent them from having children deemed as racially defective as themselves. He continues, the bottom line is bleak but clear. Eugenics, the art and science of breeding better men, is not just the historical problem of Germany and now Scandinavia, nor even of the jackbooted right. It took root right here in Britain, pushed and argued by the left. Indeed, contempt for ordinary people and outright racism were two of the defining creeds of British socialism. The trouble began, Freedom continues, with Charles Darwin. His breakthrough work, The Origin of Species, did not restrict its impact to the academy and laboratories. Instead, it transformed the very way mankind understood itself in the 19th century, its message far spilling over into the realm of political ideas. Suddenly, the religious notion that all life was equally sacred was under attack. I think you're beginning to understand now why I began by citing religious passages, uh, because compared to what we're hearing now, they form somewhat of a comfort blanket and solace. Friedler continues, the human race could be divided into different categories and classes. When Karl Marx took on the task of charting human development and defining the class structure, he acknowledged his debt, dedicating an early edition of Das Kapital to none other than Charles Darwin. From the beginning, socialism regarded itself as a natural ally, even the political version of science. Just as biologists sought to understand animals and plants, so scientific socialism would master people. In this context, there was only contempt for ordinary people who were regarded as sub-men. There we are. Worthless, useless, right? To be tended and looked after via the welfare state like a bovine herd. Unfortunately for everybody, including me, the US is no different. As uh, Break Free with Karen Hunt reports on Substack in a piece headlined The Ringmaster, The Mercenary and The Fortune Teller, how Klaus Schwab, Larry Fink and Dr. Harari promote the idea of a good creation – Good creation, by the way, means eugenics. Eugenics is actually, literally, it means good creation. In that article, uh, Ms. Hunt says, quote, the American eugenics movement received extensive funding from various corporate foundations, including the Carnegie Institution, Rockefeller Foundation, and the Harriman Railroad Fortune. From 1909 to 1979, around 20,000 sterilizations occurred in California state mental institutions under the guise of protecting society from the offspring of people with mental illness. Wait for it. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, supported sterilization of those who were deemed unfit to reproduce. Most of your liberal or socialist heroes of the past at some point subscribed to eugenics. The quote continues. I won't read all of it for you, but uh, I will move to the end of the article from uh, Karen Hunt. Edible vaccines grown in plants and CRISPR gene editing were some of the highlights, she said. The presentation was based off a World Economic Forum-sponsored academic paper called Bioengineering Horizon Scan 2020, 
Inspiration came from Matthew Lau, a bioethicist at New York University who presented a proposal back in 2012 titled Human Engineering and Climate Change. To lower birth rates, Lau suggests that lower class women should start consuming smart drugs to enhance their cognitive abilities since smarter women have less children. He also suggested that, and this is a quote from Lau, another possible human engineering solution is to use cognition enhancements such as Ritalin and Modafinil to achieve lower birth rates. End of quote. And end of article cited by uh, Karen Hunt from another substack. I've hyperlinked all of that for you. It's worth having a look. Moving to point four, national socialism, Nazism, and eugenics. So how does Harari's concept of dataism and the hackable human and the worthless, useless human and the godlike human, how does all of that from Harari, clearly sounding much like eugenics, how does that and eugenics link to Nazism? Well, this is point four. As the above demonstrates, um, globalist false prophets today, they're openly ruminating on how to hack humans for optimization while distinguishing them from worthless people. But that's not new, as you've just heard. The still celebrated socialist internationalist luminaries of yesterday suffered from the very same hubristic illness. But from them emerged one person who took this diseased thinking to its logical conclusion, and that was the National Socialist Adolf Hitler. And I use the words National Socialist deliberately because when we say Nazi, we forget that Nazi simply means National Socialist. That's literally what the word means. The English rendition of Nazi is National Socialist. Now, Friedland continues in The Guardian. For years, leftists, historians, and everyone else have drawn a veil over Adolf Hitler's naming of his creed National Socialism. It has been dismissed as a perverse PR trick of the Fuhrers, as if Nazism and Socialism represented opposite faiths. The same view has infused the left's understanding of the genocides committed in the name of Communism, whether by Stalin or Pol Pot, as if these men were merely betraying the otherwise noble theory whose cause they proclaimed. But the early history, this is a disturbing part for you. Those of you who are on the left, this is a, as Friedland himself is, by the way, obviously, writing for The Guardian. Um, it's something you have to own and challenge fiercely because this should not be done in your name. Friedland continues, but the early history of British socialism tells a different story. It suggests that socialism, with its unshakable faith in science, central planning, and the cool wisdom of the rational elite, contained the seeds of the atrocities that were to come later. Now, then it was called eugenics, folks, but uh, today it's called bioengineering. Do not be fooled, I say. Bioengineering is simply eugenics by another by another name. Those advocating it today are not only advocating for an idea that was last attempted under Nazism, uh, but in Ukraine, they're insisting that we all explicitly support and cheer on such Nazism. Just as in history, today's globalists uh, advocate for bioengineering which is eugenics, and they've been supporting and arming Nazis while encouraging the oblivious public to cheer them on via state-issued propaganda. Even our corporatist media have had no choice but to admit their recent advocacy and support for Nazism in Ukraine, despite uh, the convoluted headline. Even the Times has reported recently, I've posted it uh, here for you in the Radical Dispatch from the 30th of May 2022, headlined, wait for it, as of battalion, drops neo-Nazi symbol exploited by Russian propagandists. Wow. Imagine a headline saying Hitler's Nazis drop swastika because it was exploited by allied propagandists. Propagandists. I mean, the fact that they were wearing a neo-Nazi symbol 
it is irrelevant that Russian propagandists were criticizing it because those of us who aren't Russian and are also worried about Nazism, which I hope is the rest of us, should have been criticizing the fact that the group we were being encouraged to arm and fund and celebrate is a neo-Nazi battalion. And Friedland himself surmises in conclusion to the piece I've been citing for you, quote, progressives face a particular challenge. Yes, you do, folks. Continues. Progressives face a particular challenge to cast off a mentality that can too easily regard people as a means rather than ends. For in this respect, a movement is just like a person. It never entirely escapes its roots. Moving to point five, the sage who saw the scam. Well, the late great British philosopher Roger Scruton, who, by the way, had spent time as an underground anti-communism activist inside the Soviet Union, had the materialist, globalist, Yuval Noah Harari, sussed out from the start. In a piece here that I've posted for you in the, in the Radical Dispatch, uh, published in cityjournal.org, the, uh, the date for which was uh, uh, summer 2019, headlined, The Turing Machine Speaks, Silicon Valley Guru, Yuval Noah Harari's Chilling Post-Humanism, Roger Scruton says the following, direct quote, it is testimony to Harari's literary skill that he's able to combine his biological determinism with deferential nods toward the prevailing liberal orthodoxies. In fact, he defines himself as a liberal universalist who sees nations, tribes, and exclusive communities as obstacles to the new world order. Well, it will come as no surprise to many of you that Roger Scruton was fiercely slandered by the modern left right, until, right up until he passed away. Now you can begin seeing why. When evil comes disguised as progress, celebrated in ignorance as righteous, when the truth triggers vitriol and disgust, as the good are slandered and silenced, and when the sick are hailed as heroes, while the natural state of things is ridiculed, then truly we are in dangerous times. I end this uh, episode of Resistance Radio with another passage explicitly from the Quran 3 colon 54 and the translation means from Surah Ali Imran and they schemed scheming against Jesus in this reference and they schemed but God brought their scheming to naught for God is above all schemers now for those who believe that human beings can become God I make no apologies for prescribing religious passage to remind them of their fallibility. That's all for me this time from Resistance Radio by Majid Nawaz. Until next time, please do tune in. Uh, please be so kind as to gift a subscription. You've got the tab here under every chapter of this particular Radical Dispatch under every heading. Uh, you've got a red tab that says gift a subscription. If you like what I'm doing, if you like the research, if you like the fact that this helps you understand how news is presented and put it in a framework of interpretation, then help others understand this too by gifting them a subscription. You can also share uh, this article uh, with everybody. The free version of this will be the Radical Dispatch, which I will post uh, on my socials that you can share uh, as well. This, by the way, you're listening to is the paid version. People only listen to this if you gift them a subscription. Until next time, with Resistance Radio, it's me, Majid Nawaz. <laughs>